Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, October 25th, 2016, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our guest this evening is Althea Provost, who was born with her spiritual gifts intact, a natural clairvoyant with a propensity for precognition, and an unshakable knowing her home was in the stars. Althea considers herself a soul traveler on an endless journey, drawn in by a sense of wonder for the unknown. A perpetual student with notepad in hand, she enjoys sharing knowledge gained from direct experience. As an energetic teacher and soul writer, she serves to empower starseeds, lightworkers, and awaken folks everywhere. Althea meets you where you are, and together, Higher Self to Higher Self provides now-moment guidance. Her company, which is called Thea's Heart, offers starseed adventure tours to sacred sites for initiation, activation, and to awaken others to their next level of awareness. In this episode this evening, you can experience Thea's clairvoyant perspective as she shares highlights from the Starseed Australia adventure. You can learn about her interaction with Gray Zeta teachers Judy Carroll and Helene Kay, hear galactic news from Sydney's UFO group, step into portals and stargates as soul groups reunited to remember the seeding of humanity 900,000 years ago. And you can learn more at her website, which is theasheart.com. And Thea is spelled T-H-E-A-S, Thea's Heart, H-E-A-R-T.com. We'd like to thank Vanya and Fiona for hosting the switchboard this evening for those who may have a comment or question for our guest. If you'd like to chat with like-minded people, we have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download any of our shows, either in our archives or from iTunes, and we'd appreciate your support of our show. If you would just click follow on our show page here at Blog Talk, you'll get our weekly show notices so you know it's coming up. StarseedHotline.com has a toll-free number, which is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And for those who need healing of any kind for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will help. If you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens just by requesting your solar return timing. If you want an interpretation of that chart, though, make sure you do it about two or three months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So uh, first this evening, I am looking for Anastasia. The switchboard got full all of a sudden here. Hang on. Okay, I got your mic open. Hey, Anastasia, how you doing? Hi, good evening, Ariel. Hello, everybody. Glad you found me there and all those callers. I felt invisible, so good. We're good to go. And uh, we do have a chance of magnetic storms right now. A large coronal hole is turning toward the Earth, 
and it is spewing a stream of high-speed solar wind into space. Now, NOAA forecasters expect the stream to reach our planet uh, today and tomorrow with a 35% chance of geomagnetic storms when it gets here. And they say that the storm levels could be pretty strong. They'd reach a Category G2, which means that auroras might be visible not just around the Arctic Circle, but also in the northern-tier United States, such as Minnesota and Michigan. So if you live up that way, take a peek outside, see if you can spot those beautiful auroras. And in some space news tonight, Elon Musk has dreams for human habitation on Mars. We've talked about him before, quite a bit, actually. And this article from the LA Times says that Elon Musk answered questions about his plans to send humans to Mars in a Reddit Ask Me Anything session uh, Sunday afternoon that they say prompted thousands of reader comments, I imagine. Well, this question and answer session was intended as a follow-up to Mr. Musk's speech at the International Astronautical Congress held in Mexico last month, in which he described his plans to send up to one million people to Mars and turn humans into a multi-planetary species within 40 to 100 years. Now, his vision involves massive reusable rocket boosters that will launch spaceships into a parking orbit where they will later be refueled by propellant tankers. And eventually, 1,000 spaceships carrying 100 people each would, embar- would embark uh, en masse for the Red Planet. En masse. That's pretty interesting. I'm thinking, wow. hmm, they need to get that many people off the planet that fast? Hmm. Anyway, there were fewer details on what they would do once, the, once people would arrive to Mars. Haven't quite figured that out yet, I guess. Excuse me, Musk said he has a refueling station, or plans for a refueling station, that would be established on Mars to harvest methane fuel from the planet for the rocket so that the settlers could come back to Earth. So way, way, way sci-fi wild, huh? Yeah. Um, Yeah, really amazing. Now, I was just reading, uh, uh, actually yesterday, someone sent me a news link, about Fukushima, and I just want to touch on that lightly, because I'm just wondering if perhaps this might be some of what the space rush is about. One can only surmise and wonder. Um, The incident with Fukushima and the amount of radiation that's leaking into the Pacific Ocean is far greater than anyone is talking about or that we could have ever perhaps imagined. But then, of course, that's what happens when there's meltdowns. And uh, not only is the Pacific Ocean so deeply contaminated, the largest ocean on the planet, it is now beginning to extend down to South America. And once it crosses uh, the the horn uh, of the Cape and starts merging into the other waters on the planet, into the Atlantic and so on, we could be looking at a very uh, serious planetary event. And so I was commenting to someone the other day that, gee, this doesn't look good. And uh, then it occurred to me, you know, we are really pushing for extraterrestrial habitation stronger and faster, and that seems to be escalating. And one wonders if they know something that perhaps we don't. That article, and actually there were several articles that I was reading about Fukushima, one of them uh, by the BBC, had, and that's not too recent, it's an older article, 
but they had indicated that there had been some suppression of scientists uh, since Fukushima happened. Scientists were being suppressed in their ability to report um, actual findings to the public as to the seriousness of this incident. So according to this article, um, this has been hushed up, and as you think about it, we don't hear anything about that anymore. The general public has long forgotten about it, but the radiation is still leaking into the ocean with no end in sight, really, none. So how that's connected to space travel, one has to wonder. When Elon Musk says that they're going to um, capitulate people to Mars en masse, uh, one just has to wonder. If they know something, we don't. But on the other hand, uh, somebody's trying to figure something out. So there you have it. It's going to be a very interesting future. Um, and some of the young people that are just coming into life at this time may be, may be able to share Freak in that. Freaked out. Yeah. Has, uh, who, there is someone else on the line? Yeah, I think there is. Did Hello? you hear that? Yes, I did. Wow. I did. Um, Maybe oh, Vanya, okay. Hang check on. that out. <laughs> um, okay, I'll go I, on. I'll I go figured on. out what it was. Oh, okay. Continue. Well, um, there has been an alert level raised for the Cleveland volcano in Alaska after they detected an explosion. This comes off of Reuters, and uh, they say that scientists raised the alert level for a remote Aleutian volcano yesterday after an explosion was detected on the mountain and heard by residents of a tiny village some 45 miles away. And this is according to a monitoring website, a uh, uh, website that uh, reports the monitoring of this volcano. And Cleveland Volcano is a 5,676-foot peak on an uninhabited island off of Alaska's coast. About um, Actually, it's about 940 miles southwest of Anchorage. Now, the observatory said that an explosion was detected on Cleveland by both infrared, in, infrasound excuse me, and seismic data, and it was heard by the residents of this little town. And scientists said that cloudy weather obscured the peak in satellite images, so they couldn't see anything and couldn't see an eruption or what caused uh, the explosion, but they had detected a cloud uh, from satellite that hadn't been there previously. So something's going on with the Cleveland volcano. So they're going to keep an eye on that for sure. And in central Mexico, you can't imagine what happened to them. They had this unusual hailstorm in central Mexico uh, that blan blanketed a city on Sunday. Now, time-lapse video footage of the storm shows it hammering the city, and it shows ice accumulating on the ground. But according to the local newspaper, 15 buildings and several cars were damaged in floods that were caused by the storm. So not only did they have deep hail, but water to boot. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in Tibet, well, twin ice avalanches are really stumping scientists and perhaps even alarming them a bit. Uh, scientists were just beginning to wrap their heads around this enormous ice avalanche that occurred on July 17th in Tibet. And then, <clears throat> at the uh, end of September, it happened again, and scientists are <laughs> starting all over again to try to figure out how there could be two avalanches of this nature. Now, these ice avalanches are rare to start with, but they, uh, there were two of them that occurred just a few kilometers apart. 
and this is according to NASA's Earth Observatory. They say that uh, what's strange about this, and by the way, the first avalanche killed nine people, but what's strange is that the temperatures were close to average before the slides occurred, and the glacier is on a fairly flat terrain. So they say that just one of these gigantic glacier avalanches is so unusual, but two of them within close geographical and physical vicinity is unprecedented. So odd things. Nobody knows why that's going hmm. on. Well, did any of you suffer from that Internet outage, that Internet difficulty caused by, well, who knows what, uh, that occurred on Friday? Well, now, according to Bloomberg, it was an Internet-connected uh, CCT cameras uh, that were made by a Chinese firm that were infected with malware, which allowed hackers to take over tens of millions of devices and launch that DDoS attack on Friday. And uh, as Bloomberg first reported, and many others confirmed, the company itself admitted that it was culpable via email. It said that it was culpable because the uh, well, the security cameras that they make, uh, they said, were used to launch a cyber attack that severed Internet access for millions of users and highlighted the threat posed by the global proliferation of interconnected devices. And they said that the cameras that were at fault were made before September 2015, that those were the most vulnerable. But only a few hours later, the company appears to have changed its story. Now, the Chinese video surveillance manufacturer, again, whose equipment is being blamed for driving that DDoS attack, um, has shot back and has defended itself against the allegations that were made because of its alleged confession. <laughs> they, uh, they say that uh, the Chinese government's Ministry of Justice is threatening legal action against all those that are defaming this company. Well, you know, it's a tangled web that we weave, and who knows what the Dickens is going on, but I thought you might like to know that uh, besides the Russians and besides uh, goodness knows what and everything else, that that the Chinese uh, 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 security camera company confessed and now is taking back their confession. So there it is. Just thought you'd like to know. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> who the heck knows what? Anyway, the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, protest is starting to heat up. Uh, police have been firing on um, the media drones. They've been making mass arrests. Treaty rights have been declared. It's getting hot and heavy up there, and you don't hear much about this on mainstream news. They're too busy talking silly stuff. But protests over the development of the Dakota Access Pipeline in North Dakota has led to more than 125 arrests and a highway blockade over the weekend as pipeline opponents claimed unceded territory in the direct path of construction. Meanwhile, local law enforcement fired on two unmanned media drones, claiming that, quote, protest protesters attacked a helicopter with a drone, uh, end quote, and that the helicopter pilot and passengers were, quote, in fear of their lives, end quote. Well, the weekend developments marked a distinct heightening of tensions between these water protectors and law enforcement. Roadblocks went up on uh, State Highway 1806 on Sunday as uh, protesters declared eminent domain and set up a new winter camp on private land known as Cannonball Ranch. Uh, 
Now, the property was recently purchased by Dakota Access Pipeline Company, which is a subsidiary of Energy Transfer Partners. So that's what's going on up there, ratcheting up. In northeastern Kansas, uh, more than 100 people were treated after a chemical accident. They were treated for respiratory systems on Friday. There was a chemical accident that created a chemical cloud over the northeastern city of Atchison. And authorities evacuated children from schools. They urged residents to remain in their homes and advised people not to enter that little city of about 11,000 people, which is, oh, maybe 50 miles northwest of Kansas City. They later said the cloud had dissipated and the danger had passed, thank goodness, but the two chemicals involved in this bill were identified as sulfuric acid and sodium hypochlorite, which mixed together to create a chlorine cloud. Very, very nasty stuff. Anyway, that's over and done, but pretty scary thing when you get a chlorine cloud coming around. Yeah. People were treated, but I don't think anyone was seriously injured. Well, here's a very interesting uh, article for our history page. A secret Nazi-era tactical base has been discovered by Russians on the island of Alexand- uh, excuse me, Alexandra in the Arctic Circle. And this is about 620 miles from the North Pole. It's a secret Nazi military base. Well, this site was codenamed Treasure Hunter by the Nazis. It was built in 1942, a year after Hitler invaded Russia, and was primarily used as a tactical weather station that was critical in planning the strategic movements of Nazi troops and submarines and warships. Well, up until now, it was only talked about in written sources. But now everyone's excited because they actually found it. They actually found it. It's one of those things that had been alluded to for so many years. Everybody said, oh, it's rumor, but they found it. Mm. And in Haiti, uh, they had a prison break in Haiti. 174 inmates got out. They escaped Saturday. They killed some guards. They stole some firearms. And um, it's taking UN peacekeepers along with local officials to try to find the 174 fugitives that have escaped. The problem with this, not to mention the fact that they've escaped, is that the the inmates uh, don't wear uniforms. The prisoners don't wear uniforms. So they're not easy to spot. And... uh, the uh, embassy, the U.S. Embassy in Haiti, has issued a warning to Americans to steer clear of the area and to lay low until these prisoners are rounded up. Didn't say how they got out, just said that they escaped. That's a lot of prisoners, almost 200 yeah. people. Well, <clears throat> any of you guys heard about uh, the Medusa system? Probably no. not. I know. <laughs> well, this uh, this is uh, quite the story. The Medusa system, named after the mythical Greek monster with snakes instead of hair, had mm-hmm. one main purpose. Mm. Its purpose was to vacuum up vast quantities of Internet data at an astonishing speed. Well, it exists. The technology was designed by a company called Endace, which is a little-known New Zealand company. 
and the most important customer for Endace, according to this article, it's a British article, by the way, was the British electronic eavesdropping agency called the Government Communications Headquarters, kind of like some of our alphabet soup names that um, spy on us. British has their uh, acronyms, too, and this is the Government Communications Headquarters. Well, this is just story has broken that dozens of internal documents and emails from Endace, which were obtained by this newspaper that uh, reported this story, um, and also in cooperation with a television station in New Zealand, has uncovered that this company's key role was to help governments across the world harvest vast amounts of information on people's private emails, online chats, social media conversations, and their Internet browsing histories. Now, these files have been leaked, and they show that Endace listed a Moroccan security agent implicated in torture as one of its best customers. They also revealed that the company sold its surveillance gear to more than half a dozen other government agencies, including the United States, Israel, Denmark, Australia, Canada, Spain, and India. A little tiny company in New Zealand conducting worldwide mass surveillance. More secrets come to light. Well, oh, it's just the beginning. <laughs> it's uh, it, absolutely. You hit that. Yeah. That's that is spot on, Ariel. That's exactly right. Well, we we talked last week about some a wonderful child, uh, a starseed kid. Well, I've got another story for you tonight about a ninth grader who's invented a device to save children that have been left in hot cars. This story comes out of U.S. News and World Report, and they say that about 37 children or so die annually of heat stroke after being left in a car. And they say that so far this year, 35 have been lost to that tragedy. Um, now, a ninth grader from Georgia wants to ensure that other children will become part of the statistics. Her name is Sarah. She's a 15-year-old finalist in this year's uh, 3M Young Scientist Challenge. And she herself has created a system that could save an infant or a child if that baby or child is left alone in a sweltering car. And it also serves as a backup system uh, to save the child until the parent returns. Well, her system, 15 years old, mind you, is built into a car's uh, body cushion. And the cushion contains a heat sensor and a pressure sensor. And the program turns off if the child is sitting on the seat when the car's interior reaches a certain temperature. A fan is then activated to cool the baby and a fob, which parents can attach to their car keys, will ring. This way, the baby's temperature is steadied until the parent returns to the car once they've been alerted. Wow. A child is 15 years old. Now, it's needless to say that parents shouldn't leave their children in cars, and that certainly one should not depend upon technology like that to keep your child safe, but that's not the point. The point is... An amazing young woman is actually using her in, her inborn ability, her intellect and inspiration uh, to make a difference. And I think that's wonderful. Amazing. Absolutely. That, yeah, just tell me, folks, there's lots of adults out there that could have designed something like that. But there you go. There's a young person leading the way. I think it's great. Well, here's a story I want to share with you tonight. It's our last story of the evening, but I think it's very important. I tell my clients over time that Telling truth is one of the most important things that we can do for ourselves because 
the universe will test us. And if we are going to be worthy, worthy of greater and greater truth, we have to start living the truth. That when we lie, um, reality will lie to us. And if we want to find truth, we really have to become authentic, very truthful people. Well, that's what I've been saying. But this is an article about scientific studies, which tells us that telling small lies is a slippery slope because small lies will desensitize your brain into what we know as self-serving dishonesty. In other words, telling lies encourages us, by virtue of the way our brains are wired, to tell bigger lies in the future. And this is being suggested by new research at the University College London. Now, the research provides the first empirical evidence that self-serving lies gradually escalate, and the study shows how this occurs in our brains. So the team scanned volunteers' brains while they took part in tasks where they could lie for personal gain. Now, researchers found that the amygdala, which is a part of the brain associated with our emotions, was most active when people lied for personal gain. And the amygdala's response to lying began to decline with every lie, while the magnitude of the lies started to escalate, meaning larger drops in the amygdala activity predicted bigger lies to come. And the study researcher said, quote, when we lie for personal gain, our amygdala produces a negative feeling that limits the extent to which we are prepared to lie. However, this response will begin to fade as we continue to lie, and the more it falls, the bigger our lies become. This may lead to a slippery slope where small acts of dishonesty escalate into more significant lies. So, Interesting. 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 And I've talked before about, you know, the way they're just digging into the brains and <clears throat> kind of finding out what makes us tick. Just a tremendous amount of neural research going on. But that one is perhaps some research, research evidence, if you could call it that, that lying is uh, probably not the best way to build character. <laughs> Caution had it for me. <laughs> anyway, anyway, my mother was right. What can I say? Yeah. All right, Ariel. <laughs> I want to wish all of you a most beautiful and glorious week. It's a beautiful autumn. Looking forward to tonight's show, and we'll talk again next week. Okay. Well, great. Thank you so much for the Starseed News, Anastasia. We so My much pleasure. appreciate that. So um, we'll talk to you next week and now we are going to um, I'm going to get Lavendar's mic open and I saw you on there you are Thea let me get your mic open okay Lavendar and Thea you're both on the air so take it away okay Althea I can't wait to hear this story about Australia so welcome my friend thank you Lavendar thank you everybody for having me hi Starseeds I'm, you know, in all honesty, I think it's going to take me a lifetime to come up with the cliff notes for this Starseed adventure. It was that big. So I'm going to start at the beginning. Our adventure officially began day one, and that's when Karen Restum, our fellow Starseed quester, um, signed up. And the moment she signed up, she started going through memory recall through dreams to prepare her for powerful initiation and activation of her star self. 
And all while, as she was sharing with me her dreams, um, I kept very quietly just holding the point to allow her to come into her own knowledge and her own understanding of the story. I knew some of it, which I will share with the audience a little bit later, but I, you know, I, I'm, I just feel that it's, if one is left to their to awakening to themselves and it's an organic process, it's more stronger. So I, I, I had deep respect for her and just listened. So as we drove up to our business suite hotel, Karen started to laugh, and we're in Sydney at this time, and she's pointing to a sign on the building which says Atlantis Bar and Grill. And I said out loud, oh, no, we're not going inside there. I mean, I was done with Atlantis, didn't want anything to do with it, but our Australian host had arranged a welcome dinner inside the Atlantis Bar and Grill. And here we're having an experiencing an Atlantean version of the barroom scene in, in Star Wars. Our starseed lineup is Zetas, Judy Carroll, and Helene Kay, who co-authored the book Human by Day and Zeta by Night. Um, Karen Restum, our Restum, our Starseed travel companion, who unfortunately got lumped in with a bunch of greys, and and I introduced her to the group and said she's actually a Lyran. She claims to be a Lyran. <laughs> Poor Karen, you're a Lyran who will always be known as a grey. And then myself, who I felt I was there on a grey mission, but also a Pleiadian mission as well. And then later that evening, we were joined by Mariana Flynn, the president of Sydney's UFO research group. So for icebreakers, we exchanged gifts and just, a, you know, lighthearted gifts. But Karen, who had collected Mount Ida crystals um, at one of the Starseed crystal quests offered by Lavendar, had lovingly hand-wrapped each crystal with silver wire creating necklaces. And these were the gifts that she was planning on giving to each person that she met. And, of course, she handed Judy and Helene these crystals, and they went into a state of silence and shock. And I didn't know this then, but they had had Atlantean memories and lifetimes. So not knowing that, I started to offer up a little bit about the crystals just to kind of give them an information about what was really truly handed to them. But on a soul level, they knew. And I don't know, Lavendar, could you briefly just tell everybody about the importance of Mount Ida quartz crystals? Well, <laughs> well, the whole area, you know, there's 50, 50 miles um, deep of quartz crystal from like, from like Little Rock all the way over to Mina. And um, there's lots of different crystal mines, but the one that we like to go to at Mount Ida is uh, Fisher Mountain. And on Fisher Mountain, it seems that there is a harmonic that's been set there for the star seeds. And anyone that goes there and picks up these crystals, they they have a resonant field that will carry them further in their spiritual and galactic awareness. And, of course, the Giza crystals, I, I'm sure that you had some of those with you also, right? Yes, we did. So those, of course, were charged in the Great Pyramid of Giza back in 1983. And so a combination of the Gizas with the Mount Ida crystals, well, that just brings us up to high strangeness. <laughs> so I'm sure that the harmonics of those crystals created a, a space for things to start happening. 
Right. So, and I saw that um, energetically at the clairvoyant. The moment it touched their hands, I saw the stunned silence. And so I offered, I briefly mentioned how Arkansas is the court's crystal capital of the world. It's the finest and clearest quartz crystals. And, um, and they still weren't responding because what was happening was their memory was surfacing. And then I gave the kicker and I said, and the Atlanteans mined Arkansas for crystals. <laughs> and here these gray Zeta eyes just got bigger. If it's possible for a gray Zeta eye to get bigger, it did. Now, Helene, I'm looking at her and she is completely Zeta. Uh, big gray eyes slanted going up towards the temple. I could see her clearly. There was no way she could mask it. And same with Judy. But Judy's a petite woman, much like myself, a little bit stronger uh, physicality, but definitely on the petiter side, the smaller gray side. And then Helene is a larger um, gray Zeta, taller. So I'm watching this and um, Helene very gently and almost just very kindly said, I have never touched a crystal until now. And that started the spin. You mean ever? She had not ever touched one before? Right. She didn't go near them, didn't, yes. And here they're holding two crystals from Fisher Mountain. Oh, goodness. I know. <laughs> so I won't go into what Atle um, Helene's Atlantean lifetime is. That's something for her to share, and I'm sure Judy to share at a certain point. But, there, you know, essentially there was just this, coming home full circle moment of being able to touch and hold that crystal and, and, and to receive it from an immediate, immediate starseed connection between Karen Restum and Helene. And Helene was so diplomatic. She looks at me and she goes, yes, I kind of remember you. And I'm like, it's okay. There was an immediate reaction. And I saw it from my point of view, a mother-daughter celestial memory resurfacing. So I stayed quiet and watched this. At the same time, I looked over at Judy and Helene's relationship as Grays working together um, in a very strong way, and it was mirroring the relationship I was having with Karen at that time. So there was a lot at play. And then, of course, Mariana joined us for dinner, and we just started sharing very openly our experiences. But I'm going to jump forward to you four because I think our Starseed audience would truly um, enjoy a breath of fresh air what you four, Sydney's UFO group, was representing. There was about 80 people, and of those 80 people, we were looking at multiple galactic races present, um, many embodied, meaning that they were aware of their um, star races, they were embodying it, they were holding that galactic knowing. So we had Pleiadians, Zetas, Arcturians, um, a tall gray, um, gosh, let me see, Zetas. We, there was a lot in that room. And as well as, for me, which was a life-changing moment, is looking at the youth who were embodied as the rainbow children that they are, fully aware of the divine love code operating in them and expressing as love. And that changed me completely. I was like, thank you for even coming up and talking to me. 
I wanted to interview every single person I came across because I wanted to share with Star Seeds, you know, their wisdom, their walk, what was what was lighting them up, what was challenging them, but I didn't have the time because we were there to speak. So Mariana opened the group, and she shared a, a recent survey that captured data from contactees and experiencers um, showing that despite initial hardship that one goes through when meeting their ET selves or experiencing UFOs or, you know, abductions or those type of things, that the majority of people continued to want the experiences and welcomed them. And I'll have a link to that um, survey on my website soon. Karen spoke first, and she shared her awakening experiences from the heart. She ignited the room, unifying many starseeds who were there, who were in very similar um, circumstances and had very similar walks. Um, It was beautiful to watch. It was her first speaking engagement. In fact, she didn't even plan on speaking, but stepped up, and I was so proud of her. Helene Kay um, shared her family's contact experiences um, from a point of view as a mother and also from as a Zeta. She um, addressed the awakening process and the level of judgment leveled upon her as a mother for allowing contact experiences to happen to her daughter. I thought that was very powerful. She, she delivered it straight on and with compassion. Um, you know, despite the judgment that she had experienced early on as she came out. Um, Judy Carroll, she took the podium and delivered a powerhouse of sharing. Uh, she explained the difficulties of being a Zeta that they have with communication because they're not wired. Uh, it's more telepathic, so a rewiring of the jaw has to happen so that they can share at this level. Um, she talked about the purpose of Zetas on the planet. She was informative. Uh, She was clear, and then she closed her talk by sharing two versions of the Lord's Prayer. She read line by line to demonstrate the difference between the commonly known version that we have out there um, and then the Lord's Prayer translated by Dr. Neil Douglas, and that's taken from the original aromatic language um, spoken by Jesus. Have you heard that one, Lavendar? Yes, I have. It's beautiful. I love it. So beautiful. It's inside Judy's latest book, Extraterrestrial Presence on Earth, Lessons in History, but it's just it's just a different spin, and it, it embodies um, our star knowledge and our star races and oneness, and uh, if, I recommend that to anyone. And then I got up to briefly share about my contact experiences with the Galactic Federation ship and how the light, um, whether it's light from a UFO or light that you get in meditation or light coming onto the planet affects the evolution of soul. But really, truly, I have to point back to the people who showed up. Um, They paid to show up, first of all, I should say that. And they were so deeply respectful and open to learning and holding their knowledge as well. And if this is where our human race is going on the UFO level, you know, bravo. Well, there's so many that are activated now, especially since 2012. So they're coming out of the woodwork everywhere. 
Yes. In fact, I spoke to um, many of them who said, I wasn't even planning on being here, but somehow I heard it. I dropped everything and and decided to show up. So they were getting their own activations um, while being in that group. I saw it happening on an energetic level where the, um, you know, certain people who came to receive activations were receiving them. I think, but just showing up was an activation. Yeah, and that in itself. So uh, I, I was just, um, I was really happy to be amongst that group, and I felt privileged. In fact, I felt honored and for the wisdom that was, collective wisdom that was being shared, and everybody was open, um, highly uh, uh, educated on the subject, and that, that really gave me hope, to be honest. Um, the next day, Karen and I flew to Uluru, Oh, no, we went to Blue Mountains. Have you heard of the Blue Mountains, Lavender? No, I haven't. Tell me about them. It's negative 33 latitude. Does that tell you anything? Oh, harmonic 33? Okay. So it's a portal, for, and there's high UFO activity. We got up into the mountains, and it's like rainforest. Um, it's known for the Three Sister Rock Formation. And we immediately started experiencing variations in time where all of a sudden we had lots of time, and then you look down and time is gone. And then there was the very misty levels of light where the veils were thin, like I've experienced in my France travels. So that it's like misty light comes above the third eye, and then it dissipates, and then it's clear. And, yeah, it's a, it's a trip, that place. Um, we got along the scenic uh, skyway and looked up above, and then we went down into the bush to walk the trails and hold ceremonies. And it, it was an amazing experience. But now I'm going to take you to Uluru, because Uluru, you can see the photo um, on the screen uh, that's scrolling, and there's a being in that rock. And um, Karen got there. She had imprints from being at that site before, so she was able to walk on site without much ceremonial um, needs, whereas myself, I had no imprinting. I had no memory of Uluru. Um, So I walked onto old country, as they call it, very carefully, um, with respect, and in ceremony. So I hit that trail, and I looked up and saw that being in the rock, and it said, say my name, and I said, I don't know. (laughs) Just being honest, I don't know. I'm like Biami, who's the first creator god of um, in Australian Aboriginal lore, and then I was like, I don't know, but do I have permission to enter and to perform ceremony here? And I, I was given a yes. And, of course, I went through the ritualistic opening of the gate and making sure that as I stepped forward it was appropriate. And by the time I got to the watering well, I was activating celestial root knowledge to come back here on the planet to awaken for everybody to start remembering their celestial heritage. So that was the work I was doing at Uluru. Karen was um, working with the crystals and activating on her level. and I was there to help her through a massive awakening, which started back in Sydney but was full-blown by the time she hit Uluru. I mean, she was uh, moving in 
waves of knowing and then, of course, the 3D self and then back to the galactic self and, <laughs> and just moving in this wave formation. And, you know, I was there to like, oh, God, please don't drop because you're taller and bigger than me and there's no way you're going to flatten me if you fall to the ground. And But my, my whole intention for Karen, sweet Karen, was to make sure that she didn't split out by the multidimensional consciousness that was coming in, literally pouring in her being, and um, to keep her intact and, you know, buttoned up and, and safe. And that was, that was my job. And she did very well, and um, I'm very thankful. But I've got to tell you, at the Stargate, my leg was scratched inside my knee. I looked down. I felt my leg being scratched. And I said, Karen, take a picture. I had three scratches on the inside of my knee like a cat. And then below that, a semi-oval, long oval that looked like a cartouche that they use for when they write the king's name in Egypt. And I looked down. I said, what is this? I mean, what just happened to me? I didn't touch anything. I was very careful, ceremonial-wise. I asked for permission on every level of everything I did, and I had no idea why I was scratched. None. Wow. Later, when I got back, I asked Meg Benedict, I explained to her just like I did you, and she said, this is a quote, she said, from your description, the scratches feel like an entry code into the site's Stargate. She said, that's a new one for me. Yeah, I don't have a clue. I don't know. Yeah, it's strange. Later in this trip, we were fortunate to meet Stephen Strong, who's like a walking encyclopedia of everything to do with Aboriginal uh, old country. And I said to him, you know, why was I scratched? I, I was careful. Did I do something wrong? And he said, oh, no. He goes, this happens to me all the time when I walk on old country. He said they need a blood a bloodletting. They need your blood DNA, your codes, to know who you are. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because I had no memory of Uluru, none. So I felt really comfortable when he said that because it was an affirmation to me. Because when my, fit, my feet hit the planet in certain areas, I know I've been there before. And here I had not. So this was the first time for me to come back to the old country and to walk it again. Karen and I went to Catatutu. Again, she had the star codes to be there, so she walked ahead of me to go and do her light language and her ceremonial work, and I stayed behind. And here I lit sage, and I literally walked the entire canyon uh, pathway, um, clearing that energy field, that divine goddess energy field, to lighting it up to allow that anybody who walks further forward at Catatuta to really embody their goddess. That was my work there. And at the very end of the trail, I ran into a young girl named Maria, and she was from Espana. And I looked at her cell phone, and on it said, Time Traveler. And she was <laughs> carrying the star codes within her. She was so bright, so active, so joyful. And she she had this um, just beautiful way in how she adopted the best of Earth's culture. She had wrapped a shirt around her mouth um, like the Arabs do when they're in the desert, to keep the bugs away from her face. She was just a delight. I was so glad to meet her and just, you know, briefly honor her for her walk. Um, after Uluru, Karen and I went to the beach. And 
she had stabilized very much in her her ability to hold center. But when she hit the Budai National Park, which is Budai meaning heart in this particular area, um, she her galactic knowing, like put it this way, pedal to the metal. That's exactly what happened to our dear Karen. This area is going to take me, I'm going to start a story for you guys. And this story was written by Valerie Barrow, and the book is called El Turinga. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. You must have Valerie on your show. In fact, she came to Sydney two hours. It took her and her husband to come so I can interview them, and I didn't have time, but this is an interview that needs to happen. She came into her knowing, and through her knowing, and as a regression therapist, brought the soul group of that brought the soul group together to come and tell the story, which she tells in the book El Chiringa. And so, for your listening audience, I'm going to briefly go over it. But frankly, I, you know, this is her story to tell, and I, I urge you to read the book or become aware of Valerie Barrow's work. She's an Australian. So give us the 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 link or uh, slowly. Uh so people can write down the name of her book and her name? Sure. So it's Valerie Barrow, B-A-R-R-O-W, and the book is called El Chiringa, A-L-C-H-E-R-I-N-G-A. And this is, um, it's called El Chiringa, When the First Ancestors Were Created. And so I'll give you a brief overview because this is what ha- this is what took place for us at McMaster's Beach along the central coast, uh, central coast of Australia, which I was guided in dream time to take us to. So about 900,000 years ago, a clarion call went out to the universe to come to Earth and seed humanity with love. And 50,000 star people heard the call and decided to come. This was like um, mixed races. Um, it was a pleiadian Lyran experiment, but there was mixed races on board, and there was man, women, and child. So they got on board a crystal ship, a mothership, called the Rex Gina. And this came from the eighth star in the Pleiadian um, Pleiadian cluster in the Taurus constellation, and they were coming to Earth um, with permission from the Dracos to seed the Earth. Well, like all good stories, there's plot twists and turns, and it didn't quite work out. There was some double crossing, and um, this Pleiadian ship, upon entering the planet's atmosphere, was fired upon and with a sonic harmonic that resonated slightly higher than the crystal ship. It was a liquid crystal ship, so it started to break apart. And the escape pods exited, but they were targeted right away and shot out of the sky. And the the few that did um, make it, out of 50,000 star people, only 90 survivors. Wow. And when they landed on Earth, one of the landing places was McMaster's Beach, where we were staying. And our dear sister Karen was a part of that group. So you can imagine the pain that was taking place for her. Oh, wow. Yes. 
And so our first day at McMaster's Beach was a free day, and Karen got up bright and early. I was still sleeping, and she went for a walk. And as she walked the beach, she remembered the mask on her face and the fact that she couldn't walk because she was a star person. She didn't have the leg structure that we did. They didn't have the lung structure that we do as humans. So everything was a hardship. And then, of course, the panic and the pain of what just happened. You know, they were so light-filled and ready to do this mission, and it went wrong, 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 wrong. And so here she's going through the whole process alone again on the beach. I'm snoring in the room, (laughs) you know, and I wake up, and I'm like, I need to go meet the people that we're here to do a tour with and also to do some some um, healing work on that hurricane that was hitting Haiti and um, and the and the Americas so Karen's having her her moment I'm off doing some healing work and working with Nina Angelo now Nina our dear story storyteller uh, is a Palladian, and she too was a part of that 90 survivor group, and she has held the point at that area like a gatekeeper and has fought to keep the sacred sites where the star people set up and um, set up the, the Palladian experiment and continued on with the Palladian Lyran experiment. So she has worked with the people there to make sure it didn't become developed, and, it, and they tried to do it, um, save it from development, and also just keep the, keep the knowing. She worked with, as I've mentioned before in a previous interview, uh, with a dark and young elder, Auntie Bevy Spears, who was the last initiated Aboriginal elder and custodian of the land. And so walking with Nina, I couldn't have had it any other way. I needed to walk with our Aboriginal people, I needed to connect with them. I needed uh, Nina there to really fill in the stories from a Palladian perspective and um, to really support Karen in her embodiment as a Lyran and as a Palladian. And I've got to tell you this because it's only fun. When we were at Uluru, I'm going to bounce you back to Uluru, I looked over to Karen who was in ceremony and she was embodied gray, and I started laughing. <laughs> I said, you said you weren't a gray, but guess what? So here she is embodying multicultural races within one moment and really having, you know, waves and waves that come with knowing and, you know, struggling with, our, with what's reality uh, moment that often happens in the awakening process. So we met with uh, Nina and a beautiful group of women at Nina's house for dinner, and we also had the privilege of meeting, like I mentioned before, Stephen Strong, uh, who is an embodied, who has embodied his Aboriginal culture and heritage. And I just want to shout out to all the people who had reached and contacted me who had Aboriginal heritage but had not quite embodied it. Please do. Um, it's such a rich heritage. It's it's like you're turning on your star codes. So take a step forward and, and, and embody who you are. He brought out rocks that are sacred aboriginal rocks that hold the seven star languages. And he showed us which rocks are Palladian because they use straight lines. I actually gave you guys a photo of a rock at Cucumber Mountain 
that shows straight lines, that is a Palladian marker. It looks like a ship. So I'll point that out. Um, and he he just basically educated us like a master teacher that he is. We were very, very fortunate to um, sit and listen to him teach us about Aborigine understanding of the star cultures, the languages, and how they how they imprinted that into the stones, both ones that they carried and also ones that they um, that are on the on the mountain. And among the things he carried, which I thought was just fascinating, was this. Um, it looked like a, I guess you would say like a long stick, but it was made out of stone with a point, and it had star markings on it. And when you hold that pointy stick or pointy stone, it's fairly solid, um, it helped levitate the rocks wow. and move the rocks. So let me ask you, Althea, did he talk about his ancestry where he came from the stars? Was he a Pleiadian or what did he say he, where he came from? He did not. Uh, he was there to deliver uh, an education, an impromptu education on how the star races use the rocks to um, tell their story. Okay. And interestingly enough, that those markings that are on the rocks, there's a male rock and a female rock, that those markings are the same found globally around the world. What kind of markings are they? Circular? What what do they look like? The Palladians look like the picture I showed you will have straight lines or scratches. Okay. Have you ever seen that? I don't think so. Ah. I'll see if I can get some pictures um, to show the group and um, put them on my site or something like that, because it isn't my work, it is his. And I know he has a book coming out, but it hasn't been published on this particular topic. Um, so would he be willing to come on our radio show? I would think he would make an excellent guest. I can give you both him and Valerie's information. Okay, great. We'll we'll do that later, okay? Okay. So I'm going to bring you back to the glyphs. And at this point in time, if you see a picture on the scrolling screen, you're going to see an upside-down UFO, and you're also going to see a star woman who's pregnant at the belly, and she's working with an AI computer. One of the AI computers that was aboard the Rex Gina um, was it, when, we cra when the ship the pod uh, crashed, that AI computer was still working and functional. And through that AI computer, they did the genetic experiments on the uh, creatures that were here on the planet at the time. So they went forward with their mission, which was to bring in the Christos or the, the crystal light, the God light, back into um, these creatures so that every future generation born would have the opportunity to go through um, the Love Light Ascension. Wow. Yeah, it, it was that big. So we got on site, and um, 
Karen went right through the vortex. I think I gave a picture of that where you see a beam of light hitting her. I don't know if it's up there or not, but there's a beam of light. I know it's on my Facebook page. And, you know, and at this point in time, she's in waves. <laughs> she's just woof, in a totally different vortex going through her, her information. But on the wall, there are Aboriginal markers, and then there's Palladian markers or, or hieroglyphs. And the Palladian marker shows the ship upside down, crashing. It's telling the story of the Rex Gina on this, on this um, sandstone wall, which is very tall. And it's like walking into a little bit of a tomb. Um, the roof had been collapsed, so it's open air, but it's very tall walls. So she's going through that. Now I'm going to back up and talk to you about Helene. Helene had, Helene and Judy flew in from their respective areas in Australia to Sydney to meet with us and to speak at U4. But the next day when Karen and I had went to the 33 parallel Blue Mountains, Helene and Judy, because they would be flying back home, went to carry on to see these glyphs. The minute um, Helene hit the area, her memory recall happened, and it was instantaneous. She went through the vortex, and all of a sudden the walls came down. You know, she went through her emotional processing, and it was the moment she, I mean, when it really hit was when she saw the glyph of the, of the craft going down because she was the one who, who uh, carved it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, as we gathered together, it was no, I mean, the pieces came together. Helene and Karen were a mother-daughter. They, were work- they had the Lyrian bloodline. They had come to this site together 900,000 years ago, and they were going through the process. As all starseeds who've gone through the process know, when you reawaken the codes within you, and they're within you, that cellular, cellular memory is within you, it is. There's, it's like it fires up, it takes over the emotional body, the mental body, the spiritual body. You are on fire, and there is no stopping the knowledge coming through. It is coming in hard and heavy. If you fight it, it's like uh, you go through the sine waves where it's a push-pull. Oh, no, I don't want to know. Yes, I want to know, that type of thing. But if you allow it to take place, it's going to reconfigure your your physical body and when I looked at Helene, she was no longer a Zeta, not a, not a full-blown, purebred Zeta. She was now a Zeta slash Palladian slash Lyran. It was an honor to see the multidimensional self come online and to see it happen in 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. Now, with with Karen, because Karen was being prepared in dream time prior to coming to this adventure with me, um, she had a little bit more of a struggle because it, her memories um, go a little bit farther back, and that will be a story for her to tell um, on the Elohim level. But, uh, you know, so she, she really had to hold point, and I was there for her, as was Nina Angelo, to really help her get past.
past the emotional trauma that was stored in her body and anchor in her truth. And how this happened, and this is exciting, this is taking us to Stargates and Portals. We're going to jump back to Uluru. I woke up and I saw dot paintings within my mind's eye, and there was two two circles intertwined like um, of Ethica Pisces almost, but not quite. They were separate, um, and I saw them. And when we got to carry-on site, there's two circles on a rock, and it was a star portal, and I knew it. And I grabbed Karen's hand, and I said, come with me. And we jumped onto that portal. I'm in one, one side of the portal. She's in another. She raises her right hand. I lower my left hand just to balance the energy because she's just pure, pure. She's not thinking. She's in doing mode. She's in being mode. And there we hyper-jumped. And from there, we went right through the star gates where I was able to open up her gate, um, her access gate, and bring her back into her multidimensional consciousness, um, just to help her anchor it into the, her body and on the earth. So she went from extreme emotions to solidly, I am here. Yeah, good. It was powerful. I can feel it. I can feel it through your voice. I can see what you're saying. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, wow. How many days were you there, and what was the weather like? Did you have any bad weather when you were there? Impeccably beautiful. It could not be more beautiful. We had 12 days. After that carry-on experience, we went to a point cliff, um, like a high point cliff for whale watching. We saw whales spouting. And then Karen and I were like, we want more whales. Like, we're not, we weren't satisfied. We were gluttonous at this point. We want, like, a whale (laughs) to do whale things in front of us. We went back to Sydney, um, jumped on a ferry, all spontaneous, went whale uh, whale watching. And for two hours, we had whales breaching and flipping their tail, young baby whales um, playing. And just, we just ended the ended that 12 days of birthing oneself um, with laughter. Wow. But I will tell, tell, you, tell this for, for people, um, and I know it's kind of hard because you weren't there, but when we went to Uluru, there was rain that um, had happened weeks before, and we had the most verdant, green, panoramic landscape that the locals said hadn't happened in 25 years. There was flowers everywhere, tropical flowers, and the oranges and yellows and pinks and purples and in circles and pyramidal shapes. And it was, it was, I, I was shocked. I had no idea that it could be that green. Uh, I didn't, uh, in fact, every picture I've ever seen, it doesn't have any greenery or flowers. So that's very unusual. Yeah. And so all my photos were of pictures. I were flowers. I'm like a flower nut. I just, oh, my God, I pulled the car over. Let me take a picture. Let me take a picture. Now, you're a good galactic tracker. My memory video, my uh, video card memory, memory card went missing when I got back. What do you mean? It just disappeared. All my photos all my videos that I took of um, Nina and of many story te- many storytellers when I uh, got to the coast, the central coast, are missing. And so I checked in with my higher self, and I said, I want my stuff back, and they said, soon. Wow. Huh. So 
I've never had that happen before in my life where something goes missing. Oh, I have it every every week. <laughs> do they, <laughs> and they bring take, it back? That's the thing. They do bring do it they, back. They do. Okay, so it it will come back. But yeah, so I thought, oh my gosh, I had so much to share, but apparently not now. <laughs> wow. So are you going to go back? Um, everybody there, all the Australian people, uh, said I will be back. <laughs> well, are you thinking thing. about taking a, a group? I know you, you just had Karen with you on this trip, but are you thinking about taking more people? I do because I was contacted by 25-plus people who wanted to come on this trip, and some were very emotional, crying right off the st- right off and I my guidance team told me when I created this they said you think you're ready but you're not and when I started contacting and exchanging information with the 25 plus people I realized I wasn't ready I was wondering whether or not I could hold center for 25 people and about two weeks before the trip left before we left I knew I could hold point but I didn't know it until I visited you, really, um, at the Starseed Quest. And I, once I left that quest, I knew I was ready. But prior to then, I, I, I was very nervous because I'm petite. And, you know, like I said, Karen, yeah, Karen, when, Karen had said at one point, if there's a ship showing up, I'm going. And I said, oh, no, you're not. No one is disappearing on my trip. <laughs> you know, I said, no one goes missing. The Zeta took somebody great, you know. Oh my gosh. So I was I was nervous and by the time it happened it was right. It was meant for Karen and I to be at the first time. It was meant all the people in Australia said you needed to come first and walk the land and reintegrate your memory and then next time you come you could be there hundred percent fully and completely for the group that needs to come back into their memory. That's that sounds really absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah, that sounds, sounds right. So um, I do want to say in honor of you, Lavendar, I am offering a special, and that special is for a half-hour session of me. Um, it's $75, and it's on my website, and it's a Starseed Radio, and it's just out of gratitude for your love and support for my work and and me personally, and I'm so thankful. Well, I'm so glad that you finally are stepping into your power and claiming who you are so that you so that the other star seeds that you made agreements with before you ever came here will find you. Thank you. Yeah. So are you planning any other trips to any other sacred sites around the, the planet, or has that not come to you yet? I've held the field open for about seven different places, and I'm allowing um, that field to populate because, honestly, what happened, like with this one, was – this was for Karen as well as, you know, the other people I knew who had their name on it, but I wasn't quite ready and effectively told them not to come. But um, I am, I work on that level of who I'm there, who needs to go to a certain star, uh, Stargate to awaken, and, and I'm holding that open. So I've had people ask me for France and various other places, and um, as that momentum gathers, it will fill in, and I'll have it posted on my website before the end of the year. Oh, that's great. So at this time, I see what time it is. I probably need to, to hand you over to, to Ariel, who has the switchboard. So will you be willing to um, answer some questions or people that have comments that, that are on the switchboard? Absolutely. Okay. 
so nice so nice talking to you and we'll talk again later but right now I'll pass you over to Ariel. Back to you, you. Ariel. Okay. Wow. What an adventure and just from your description I could see through your eyes um what an amazing trip. And I think you did make the good call because it's so far and never, you know, not knowing what to expect. You go get the lay of the land and uh I'm sure your next trip will be even more so over the top. So Yeah, it, thank you. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that cuz I I um I had fretted over it, you know, and um I'm so thankful for that. Thank you. Hmm. Well, most of the things that we worry about never really come to pass anyway. So um <laughs> but that's that's just the the human part. But uh right now if anyone on the switchboard has a question or comment for Thea, you need to press 1 on your keypad so that we know you want to come on the air. And um, if you're listening on the computer, then pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you're in, press 1. And uh, it will take a few minutes to see if we have anyone coming with comments or questions. So um, is there anything else that you would like to tell us about the trip while we're waiting? Well, I think what's a hot topic right now for the starseeds I'm working with is how to embody their star self. And I think that there's, um, there is no one particular way because we're all coded differently. I've seen things come through dreams and uh, from walking into stargates um, through people, places, things. It's really um, a matter of listening to your soul. And as your soul guides you and says, you know, um, it's time you go to this certain place or it's time you take this course or it's time you do this. If you listen and take action, you are going to find the situation that is right for you that will unfold. And it is a matter of trust and a matter of taking action. I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's not going to come from someone telling you. It's really going to come from you going through the process. That's so true. It is so true. Um, and what do you think about, you know, when uh, when people, I'm sure you get this a lot as, as, as we do as well, um, when people say that, you know, I just, so something's blocking me, you know. Or I'm, I, I yeah. want to, I, you know, I, I want to, you know, claim my power, um, and but they just they feel blocked or something is is in their way. Um, how often do you perceive that it is they themselves who are, you know, the, some hidden facet of themselves that that won't. Um, release a, a human, you know, societal program, um, you know, or people that are just a little bit, a little bit angry all the time, you know, and in, in my opinion, that's, you know, if your frequency is down in the basement, you got to bring that up to see the light. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Agreement completely. Um, I will add 
I mean, you nailed it on many levels. The permission slip has to come from the self. It's not going to come from another person, although they can tell you that, you know, until you're willing to know how you play the game at any level of your existence um, and really see it. You know, it's easy to say, I'm just light, right? Well, light has shadow on this planet, and there are shadow aspects to how we play the game. You know, you might, um, 900,000 years ago, you might have been the one that shot down a ship. And so your third eye might be blocked because you don't want to remember or see it or feel it. But when we, this is all to bring us into a level of compassion and acceptance. In fact, in Valerie's book, the trickster, the galactic trickster was a Palladian. And he was a great shapeshifter, and he knew the laws in the sense that he was an eternal being. So when he... Um, when he got shot, he would just embody another race, another being, whatever being, a race of being that suited him. And he uh, tricked the Draco race, the reptilian race, by pretending to be their god. And when they prayed to their god, what do we do about the Drake, you know, about this ship coming in? He said, fire, and they obeyed. Oh. So we can blame reptilians for whatever we think they are and whatever process they played in the game, but they got tricked. So there's trickster out there, of which, um, you know, our beloved Lavendar teaches heavily on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> be mindful, folks. Just because you're in a physical body, you know, it can shift and change, and we play at different multidimensional games. And I would add this to your statement because it was so valid. But there are, on a galactic level, everybody knows how important this Earth game is right now. And they, they can play time games. So for myself, knowing I was coming on later on in life, my, um, I had an insert program at the heart level um, when I was a captured soul so that when I came on, an, on in life at this time on this planet, I would have... Um, basically large amounts of self-doubt play out. It would kick in like a program. And so I have enough observation and enough self-responsibility in my being to say, okay, I don't, know, I don't need to go into victim. I'm just going to remove the program from my being and step in. And actually your code, Ariel, where you say if you don't know which way to go, step up, was the prompting for me. It's like, okay, this code cannot run in my being. Out it goes. Wow. Yeah. So there's yeah. It's like we stop ourselves, the other beings who don't want the planet to ascend and waken into Christ consciousness or God consciousness or light levels or however you want it, whatever word you want to use, um, it plays on various levels. But if you want it and you're going to claim it, it's going to happen, no ands, ifs, or buts. Right. And, I mean, we have to walk the talk. And if you, um, you know, yeah. you know, people, yeah, people talk about, you know, um, universal love and, and, and unity consciousness, and then, and then they go, you know, have road rage. You know, it's contradictory. So you have to walk the talk, and and I, if you, 
I think what uh, you're right there again, and um, also in the Starseed News when she was talking about lying, um, I had this very beautiful conversation with Mariana Flynn, who's just a doll, um, you know, gracious, gracious person. I said to her, I cannot lie, and the reason I cannot do that is it turns, it shuts my codes down. It's, it basically closes the gates, the upward spiral gates, and why would I do that to myself? What is there for me to gain? It, I mean, why drop my frequency down into third dimension where I'm now in battle with everybody? <laughs> right, right, right. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of along the same lines that we have to um, walk the talk. We have to hold a high frequency. And, you know, I mean, everybody has a day where, you know, you get all the lights red and, and someone takes your parking spot and, you know, just all the little tiny irritations that, is part of the third dimension. Well, you know, do you let that control you? Do you, you know, react to it? Or you just put a smile on your face and think of people who have it a lot worse off. It's like, yeah, you've got a car to drive. So you I'm lost a, your parking spot. You know what, but people that have to walk. I'm a little more human. I feel it. Um, and then I, I'll say like some days, my daughter came in a couple of days ago and she goes, I'm mad. And I'm like, why are you mad? She goes, I just want to be taken care of. This is getting rough. I'm, I'm just tired. And I said, so am I. And we just kind of, you know, threw our little human fit and then we were good. We went and did some, you know, energetic work and then we were happy. So I, I, I feel it. I just allow myself to, to feel it. You know, it's, well, it's yeah. And living, I'm living in the third dimension, and we've got so much um, flying through the air from electromagnetics to thought forms to you know just the mass consciousness, everybody else's stress, and you have to keep you have to keep clean, so to speak, energetically, because every time you go out the door, you know, just to go do your 3D errands. Um, you can get it on you. <laughs> yes, do you have do you have a personal way um, that you you use to clean yourself energetically every day? Well, I mean, if I'm going to go into you know a a public kind of situation where all those energies are, um, I prepare myself before I ever walk out of my sacred space. So that doesn't happen all that often anymore. I mean. Um, but if I have a fleeting thought of of anger or irritation or annoyance or something like that, I switch it immediately and think of something that um, you know brings me joy, that makes me grateful, and uh, it's just it's just you know transmuted instantly. I, but, I like yeah, how you flip to the light. I I do the exact same thing with something negative coming in. Um, I will spin it out of my energy field and, you know, and then turn to the light. And at this point, as a divine co-creator, what am I creating right here, what, right now? How am I using my light? But I also have daily practices where I sit down every day and run my soul light coming down my central column and into my body. And I'm anchoring on to that fifth-dimensional earth and going through my shielding practices. And I do that daily. I mean, that is like taking a shower, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to, uh, <laughs> your energy has to smell good, you know, <laughs> to yeah. yourself. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, um, I've been 
formulating a um, a a philosophy, I guess as you'd call it, about what is power. You know, everybody's like, well, you know, I want my power. Well, you have it. Um, you're just not using it. <laughs> you know, because every day we make a hundred choices, and we have the power to make one choice or another. So, you know, if you choose to react in anger, you've just, you know, lost power. If you choose to react with compassion, then you gain power. You know, so it's like, kind of like a balloon, and you keep letting the air out, and then you have to put some more in, and you just try not to, um, um, I mean, in every moment, you are exercising your power. And if you're so not you're handling it... Yeah. Yeah, if you're not wielding it correctly, then, um, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You can cut yourself down or you can build yourself up. But, yeah, I mean, every, like I said, I'm kind of formulating this into some kind of an essay or something, but, you know, power is in every conscious choice that you make. And I think that as the as our coding gets turned on, our starseek coding, we can um, either spin out of control in a battle energy of righteousness of, you know, what, which race is better than another or which one did us, you know, dis- did us under, or we can take the choice and learn from the wisdom that comes with each race, and each race has a speciality in how they show up and how they um, create and how they make their choices and getting um, comfortable with what that, how that oper- is operating to and through you um, will only benefit you on your planet, on this planet as you walk. Um, I know for myself, um, the gray consciousness enables me to um, see the subconscious layers more clearly in another and to see where the fear is and to bring it out gently and um, carefully so that someone feels comfortable looking at some of the sticky, icky parts of themselves with objectivity and um, as much non-partiality as that they're willing to allow. I hold that non-judgment and, um, you know, I'll bring it out, I'll state it, and, you know, let's move forward. Um, I know the Syrians are so good at if they say they're going to do something, man, they it's hot and heavy, they're on it. And they won't stop until they complete whatever said project that they had agreed to do. Um, you know, so it's like we can really um, bring in the wisdom. Right. And, yeah, and they don't make the differentiation between nationalities like we do. Right. Uh, yeah, so... You know, it's you're either um, you know on frequency or you're not. And yes. certain, you know, it's like you know if you get your grandmother's really good at cooking and your your other grandmother's really good at sewing and and you know every like you said every race has something um, valuable to offer to right. teach and to share and um, you know so you know so many people it's like well. I want to know where I'm from, and and I say, well, it's more important to know where you're going, <laughs> you know, because you know it's it's that it's that that um, that sports team uh, mentality. It's like I yeah. want to get the T-shirt because I'm Syrian, I'm Pleiadian, I'm this and I'm that. And it's like, well, that's that's divisive. 
it it, it divides us, you know. So yes. let's just be, you know, 5D. <laughs> and yes, that's it. which is what I saw at you for when I looked out at the crowd and I saw, I mean, one 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 young man in particular, you know, he 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 was just love. That's all he was. He didn't have any other agenda. He was in his beingness, emanating love. Yeah, you know, that that is that's quite an accomplishment. For a young kid. I mean in his twenties. Well then that's his natural state. Yeah. But that's how they're coming in. Yeah. You know, and they're and, and they're holding it, which is if you can get into your twenties and hold that love you know, love and who you are, it is beautiful. Right. Especially as you, you know, have to enter the workforce. Um, and and deal with that seamy underbelly of our society with the you know corporate mentality. Um, it's it's um, imperative that we don't right. um, you know we might have to um, interact, but we don't have to become one of that one of those you know lower frequency type you know personal greed and all those nasty things. No, you don't have to embody yeah. the density. You know, it's there, it's no, leaving. I, no. it, it, yeah, you don't have to. You can just be who you are and keep on going and, you know, shake off anything that <laughs> wants to slime you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm really I'm really excited to 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 see and and speak with um you know, people that are just you know, just getting out of college or, you know, they're in their 20s and 30s and and these, this is really the first generation that is going to take us leaps and bounds. You know, prior generations were moving in that direction, but, you know, and the Lavender calls them the new kids. <laughs> Even though they're 30, they don't think they're kids anymore, but, um, you know, it's just a, a manner of speech. But, you know, born after 1980, there's there's something different about that generation and subsequent generations as well. Yeah, you can and see it in their eyes. They're, they're holding so much light. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's it it it's cause for optimism. It did me. I mean, I just needed to lock on, lock my eyes, and um, really see what they're about, and I, you know, and and feel the plan for humanity, and it, it just, yeah, it gave me great. Um, it was humbling and at the same time uh, touched the depths of my soul. It was like if we had to seed this planet and go through that much trauma and drama, you know, 900,000 years ago at this particular place, you know, to get to this, well, then it's, it's, it's good. Yeah, yeah. And even though it, it seems like things are just getting worse and worse, but it's because all of these negative programs they got to they got to play out so that you can delete That's it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They they have no. to conclude, you know, you got to play the game until you get to the end and then you delete the program and That's it's over. That's exactly with. it. I think we're at that deleting program part. I don't know if you feel that way, but I know with the clients that I'm seeing, we're just dropping dropping the the program. It's like, okay, that's how it was played. Delete. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Moving on, you know. 
moving on to just <laughs> enjoy. And it's exciting to see that we can delete the program, and I think it's because the amount of light that's hitting the planet, you know, that plant that that light basically creates an expansion field and you can start to see where these programs are embedded within the energetic system and you can target them and just knock them out. You know, thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for playing. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for playing Bye-bye. the game of life. Yeah. Uh, love and blessings out, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and it's like lifting. And I mean, I have clients, it's like, yeah, I'm just getting lighter and lighter. And it's like, that's the point. You know, let's get lighter and lighter. The density's here. It's playing out shadow. It's making it so obvious. You know, it's like, hi, I'm density. You know, and it's like, let's just let's just dis- dismantle the program. And I I would also say that you know, for the awakening process, if I could just briefly talk about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, the way I see the awakening process and the way I see it energetically from a clair- clairvoyance point of view is there. When you are reintroducing light, and let's say you played a very negative game or a very dense game, you have to come into, well, I wouldn't say have to, but this is just how I see it. You will see how you played the game, and that light, that love light burns (laughs) at a level of um, deep, dark density. It's burning, and it's difficult to stand in or feel energetically because it is a so far askew from where someone is at. And there are beings on this planet that um, would like to go through the integration process, but it's just too damn par- uh, painful. And so I suspect that there will be a, um, you know, provisions made for them because the light here uh, can easily fracture and splinter a person if they're not able to hold center. So I see provisions happening for them as well. But the light's coming, and it's coming in stronger and stronger waves. Absolutely. And the more you look for it, the more you find it. Oh, yeah, I feel it. (laughs) Yeah. Let me ask you, Theo, um, because you are, you know, a natural clairvoyant and and you just you sense things. Um, do you use some a technique to kind of turn that off when you're in a situation where you don't, you know, where you need to kind of, uh, you know, not be aware of that? I, I can't imagine it. You know, I, there must be a situation where um, you don't you don't want to know certain things. You know, um, kind of like a public. Yeah, in my 20s, it would happen during uh, business uh, meetings. You know, I had my own company, and, um, you know, the dimensions would shift, and I would be seeing that person, and oh, my God. And what I developed, um, and and this really helped me because my family held this point, was mind your own business. And so I have worked with my higher self that if my name isn't on it, like Lavendar says, I don't need to know it. And I'm very clear on that i um if there is something that my higher self wants to reveal to me so that i understand a bigger part of the puzzle so that i can work with people who are holding that knowledge i'll be shown but in terms of when i'm with other people i do not read them 
I do not uh, cross boundaries. When I'm in with a client, they're in their own sacred um, structure. I'm in my own, and I don't link into them, hook into them. Um, I don't do any of that. I work higher self to higher self. So I'm very clear about minding my own business. Well, and I think that's that's really important because there are, I mean, a lot of people that because they can, they do, like all the time, you know, <laughs> just, uh, and uh, I just wondered if you had a, um, you know, a process the most, or... The a, most specific process that I have, I learned from Meg Benedicte, and that's where I take all of my chakras, systems, and normally when you see a Socratic system or a picture of a Socratic system, the chakras are pointing outwards, all my shock, um, chakras are pointing inwards and locked onto my central column, so I am feeling my own um, stream of light, and I'm not reading others. Yeah, because I figured that that could get, um, get a little weird, uh, you know, if you pick up something from somebody that you know, but certainly um, at this point in your life, I figured that you had um, learned how to, um, you know, call it up when it's appropriate and turn it off when it's not. Yeah, and that's through session yeah. work. I do it through sessions. And when I'm out with people, I'm just another girl, you know, just going to get my, my food or whatever it is I'm doing. Yeah. And yeah. I just don't, I do not, I just do not make their business my business. I'm just clear. Yeah, well, that's that's great. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't think we have any callers. I think you, you told your story so well, um, <laughs> but certainly when you uh, um, you know post your pictures, um, I know I I put about oh, I think about ten or twelve pictures on the on the slideshow that you sent, um, but there will be more. When, and when your when your um, SD card comes back to you, um, that would the best way to to look at more pictures and read more about this would be on your website? Absolutely. And once again, that is the website is Thea's Heart, and that's T-H-E-A-S, heart, H-E-A-R-T, dot com. So, well, this so is just thankful. Been, so fascinating. Thankful. I feel like I've been to I feel like I've been to Australia tonight and other places off the planet. <laughs> so, yeah, you you told your story really well, and and I, I love when people are passionate about what they have to say. And you. Uh, you certainly have that. Mm, thank you. Oh, you're so and, welcome. Yeah, and thank you to everybody um for joining in or listening on the uh, replay. I'm I'm just a I'm just a, it's just a joy for me to share um you know the star seed awakening on the planet and I'm just glad to be able to observe it. It's a beautiful planet. Yeah. And sometimes we, you know, we can, you know, we have to focus on what's good and right and 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 beautiful. And when I go out in nature, um, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, this is why I put my hand up. You know, the woods, the trees, the rocks, the stones. The, I mean, just everything. It is just, it's it's perfectly beautiful. My my so. number one teacher is Gaia, and um, and she remains my number one teacher. Well, she's got it all. Yep. She's yeah. got the frequency. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, it has been a pleasure having you with us tonight, and I thank you so much for sharing your story with us. 
Um, and as you said, there will be people listening all throughout the week. So make sure you check out Thea's website. It's called theasheart.com. And when you are ready to go back, please let us know as soon as you do. Thank you. Okay, blessings. And to you as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So I want to thank everyone for listening tonight, and we'll be back next week. And until then, um, on behalf of all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, have a great week. And remember to count your blessings every day. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 